Hi, everyone. Welcome to the San Diego News Fix. I'm Christy Totten. With San Diego County in the orange tier, more entertainment venues can reopen. Reporter George Varga will tell us what that landscape looks like. Then, the San Diego Union-Tribune editorial board writes that President Biden is right to pull troops out of Afghanistan. Chris Reed explains why. First, the news. A new report shows that San Diego's Ocean Beach Pier has deteriorated over the last 55 years and might need to come down. City officials said Thursday they've made some repairs and are reassessing recent damage to the pier. They will update the report before deciding on the future of the pier. Advisory firm Moffat & Nickel completed the report in 2019, but it was only recently released. It makes the case that the pier has reached the end of its service life. For now, the city is planning to continue repairs, and the pier is closed at the moment. San Diego County's jobless rate dropped in March to 6.9 percent, nearly its lowest since the pandemic began, state officials reported Friday. Employment gains were led by the leisure and hospitality sector, which benefited from relaxed restrictions aimed at stopping the spread of COVID-19. The last time San Diego County's jobless rate was lower was in November, when it dipped to 6.8 percent, according to data from the State Employment Development Department. Sewage flowing from Tijuana forced officials on Friday to close the Imperial Beach shoreline yet again. The move comes less than a week after Baja officials said repairs were completed on a broken water pump in the Tijuana River. The pump had allowed tens of millions of gallons of sewage-tainted water to escape starting in late March. Reports of the putrid smell have been flooding in from residents across the South Bay for weeks. Coronado beaches were also closed over Easter weekend. Entertainment venues in San Diego County can reopen at greater capacities, but some are choosing not to. Reporter George Varga has the details on what's open and what the new rules entail. George, now that we've reached the orange tier, venues can have up to 33% capacity or 67% capacity if everyone there is vaccinated. Um, what is the latest with venues? Are they asking for vaccination cards? And do you need to wait weeks after you've had your last shot? I don't know how long people have to wait. Um, I do think we're currently in a period where it would be difficult to predict exactly what will happen and when. On the one hand, people are very eager to go back to, uh, to attending live events. On the other hand, there's a great lack of um, of knowing exactly what will happen, when, and how. Um, venue owners and operators that I've talked to are, for the most part, reluctant to move forward immediately. Uh, they are afraid that any move they make now could be impacted within a week or two. Um, and it it isn't easy to open a venue. You, you can't, it's not like plugging in a, a toaster. Um, there are a lot of different moving parts. So um, we're kind of in an odd period of people being uh, in great anticipation and yet there's kind of a foot on the brake. Are any venues open right now? Um, trick question, yes. Um, more outdoor venues, um, in fact, I went Wednesday to Panama 66 in Balboa Park to hear 
the jazz trumpeter Gilbert Castellanos. Um, and this is outdoors in a courtyard next to the San Diego Museum of Art with tables six feet apart, mask required unless you're eating. Um, and um, uh, last Saturday, I went to the courtyard at the Conrad Previs Performing Arts Center in La Jolla, which is owned and operated by the La Jolla Music Society. Uh, they had a capacity of 99 people in a large courtyard, everybody masked, everybody six feet apart. Um, in terms of indoor venues, um, the CASVA reopened last week, but only partially, not their main indoor room, more the kind of little courtyard they have in an adjoining bar. Um, so uh, it, it's not like uh, a green light went on and everybody reopened. Um, and uh, again, it, it, it's, it's not an even, uh, playing field would be the wrong word, but, but, but it really varies from venue to venue, owner to owner. And as far as vaccinations go, I've talked to a number of venue operators who said they don't know how to work with that. Um, they don't want to be in the position of enforcing who can come in and who can't, and yet they need to abide by whatever the guidelines happen to be. I see. Um, from your story, it, it said the Padres are also testing out this rule. What are they allowing? Um, well, they they have a, an enormous advantage in that they've got a stadium with a capacity of over 40,000 people. And so I don't even think it matters as much what they're allowing as the fact that, I, I mean, I think they can go up to 70,500 people from 10,000. Um, but the fact is they have a huge amount of room to continue to keep people at a safe distance. I know that they're doing everything ticketless and including your food orders, you're doing that on your phone um, and you're doing it as far as I know without actually paying cash, you're paying on your phone. So the idea there is to, to maintain as safe a um, process as possible. I mean, this seems definitely like an advantage to venues that have outdoor spaces. You know, for smaller venues that don't, what are they waiting for? Is it to reach the next tier? Um, really good question, and, and there's not an easy answer um, because um, come June 15th, when in theory we would move into a, I don't even think it would be a new tier. I think at that point, uh, Governor Newsom indicated that, that all restrictions would be lifted. Um, but the tricky part is all restrictions will be lifted if two important uh, factors are, are met, namely that the hospitalization rate remains below a certain level and that the vaccination rate um, is up at a certain level. And most of the uh, venue owner operators and producers that I've talked to are all concerned that that may not happen or it could happen and a week later um, that will be revoked. And they're really, as one of them put it to me, um, for them to reopen requires having a staff of a minimum of 100 people and they're not inclined to do that if they don't feel that they can, can do that 
constantly for the foreseeable future. The doubt um, that they have makes them reluctant to do so. And there's no, there's no way of predicting when everything might go back or pivot back. But at this point, most of the people I've talked to are positive it will, or, or very likely to believe it will be later in the summer and into the fall uh, before things are really happening the way that we hope they'll be happening. Yeah, it makes sense. They want to be cautious. Um, just you being in touch with these venue owners and operators. Um, I, I mean, are they doing okay? Do they have what they need to stay afloat until, you know, that time in the future when they do feel comfortable opening? It varies from venue to venue, and it depends a lot also on the type of venue. So um, if it is a club like the CASVA with a capacity of, I think, right around 200. Until last week, they weren't open at all in any form. Um, the Belly Up, which has a capacity of 600, um, has not been open to the public, but has been doing regular live stream performances, both with um, local bands and national bands like Los Lobos. Um, and uh, that has worked okay, but it's not remotely the same as having an audience come in every night, as having your bar and restaurant proceeds um, to, to draw from as well as ticket sales. Um, and regrettably, a number of venues in San Diego, uh, Bar Pink in North Park, Martinis above fourth, to, to cite just two examples, have gone under altogether. And there is a, the, the uh, congressional bill that passed, the most recent one for COVID relief, includes a sizable amount of money for independently owned and operated music venues. That is the good news. The bad news is that the website uh, for venue owners and operators to apply to get that money has been essentially not functioning from the day that it, it purportedly opened. Um, so there, there are a lot of different moving parts and, and there's no easy answer to give you regrettably. What do you think is going to be the etiquette going forward, you know, for being in large crowds, um, you know, out at concerts or ball games or what have you, uh, you know, will we be wearing masks? Will we need proof of vaccination? Things like that. Yeah. For the foreseeable future, yes, you will need to wear a mask. Um, the vaccinations, it appears, will likely be required. Um, how that will be documented um, is unclear. Um, it, no one really quite knows it. I know that venue operators um, are already concerned about A, the fact that they would have to, to be enforcing it, and B, about the legitimacy of people uh, indicating that they've been vaccinated. In the state of New York, um, they've got um, a kind of a vaccination passport, uh, but already there have been examples of, of forgeries. And so it kind of is opening up, uh, if not a hornet's nest, definitely opening up uh, some doubt as to how it will work. And again, it, since it hasn't been implemented at all in California, no one really knows yet how it will how it will work and how effective it will be. 
George, what has it been like for you, you know, as a music critic, somebody that was out at concerts every week, multiple times a week, you know, what has it been like for you over the past year? Well, the past week has been unique for me in that I actually went to two concerts, which is two more than in any month in the past year um, in terms of an actual live concert. Um, and uh, both of them were outdoors. I, I think I mentioned one was at Panama 66th at the Sandy Museum of Art, which is a, a nice courtyard area, and the other also a courtyard. Um, and then actually three concerts this week because last night there was a mainly Mozart drive-in concert uh, in a big parking lot at the Del Mar Fairgrounds. Um, so all three were outdoors. The Del Mar one was the only one where you remained in your car with the windows down. Um, so what it's been like for me, I don't even know that it matters because for all the musicians who no longer had a livelihood for the past year. They're beginning to get outdoor gigs, which is great, uh, but they've been unemployed for a long, long time. And um, it's been painful to watch that. Um, you know, there's so many talented musicians in San Diego and across the country and around the world um, who have had their livelihoods taken away from them. And some of them have done okay online streaming, uh, but um, that, that only, replaces a small part of their income. And the other thing is that there's nothing that can replace being in front of an audience if you're a performer or if you're an audience member being uh, you know, in close proximity to a performer and having that happen in real time and the performer reacting to the audience and the audience reacting to the performer, that, that doesn't happen online in anything remotely uh, the way it is if it were happening in real time. Now for opinion. Chris Reed is the deputy opinion editor at the UT. Okay, Chris, the editorial board this week uh, wrote an editorial in support of pulling troops out of Afghanistan. Why is now the time? Well, it's basically the, uh, the initial reason that we invaded Afghanistan was because it harbored Osama bin Laden and the, you know, the terrorist mastermind between the 9-11 attacks. But after uh, we went in and we, you know, essentially hurt the Taliban badly and hurt uh, Al-Qaeda badly, uh, the Taliban is the most powerful militia in the country. Al-Qaeda was their partner, effectively. Uh, well, anyway, after we had done that effectively, George Bush uh, changed the mission from uh, revenge for 9-11 to trying to turn a really poor and uh, impoverished state into a modern nation state. I mean, we really truly spent billions and billions of dollars trying to set up national government there where there had never been a national government before. So anyway, it became obvious within years that this wasn't working. Donald Rumsfeld, you know, the Secretary of Defense, was later revealed the documents to be saying things like, we know we can't win, why are we still here? Well, that was 18 years ago, and in 2019, the Washington Post released a report that said that Obama administration, Trump administration, and Bush 43 all alike had hit the fact that things weren't going well. So if, if we had a mission that was failed to, from the start, and it's time to just pull up. And you know the consequences are, are grim for the Afghan people, many of whom have enjoyed more freedoms while troops are there. 
but ultimately America has to decide on what's in its own interests. And we're over there fighting a war that the US government has known it can't win for years. How does it make sense to put Americans at risk for a war that we can't win? Yeah, well, what do you think the reason was for staying in after, you know, insiders realize that? Well, um, I don't think you can exaggerate the arrogance of Bush 43 and Rumsfeld. They truly believe they knew what was best for the world and that they weren't going to let a little bit of problems get in their way. But the fact is, is that it just Afghanistan is a landlocked poor nation that uh, the U.S. can hammer if it accepts terrorists with its, you know, its Navy from afar, and it has technology now and drones. So we can protect our self-interest without putting uh, people's, Americans' lives uh, you know, directly at risk. And we also spent more than $2 trillion there, even by uh, you know, the standards of recent years. That's a ridiculous amount of money for a war that we knew we couldn't win. Do you think there were any victories along the way? Well, uh, there, there's the temporary victories that certainly were enjoyed by women who got to go to school for the first time, and many of whom were allowed to go uh, to work for the first time. And so we really need to try to prevent uh, Afghanistan from sliding into anarchy. But we should no longer continue the pretense that we're there to fight a winnable war when it's not a winnable war. Yeah, I mean, I know the, you know, this has been going on a long time. And so the editorial board has had stances a long time. Uh, many of those you've written. I mean, what has been the overall stance of the editorial board, you know, over the years? Well, uh, we, uh, uh, I got here in 2005 and I've never written an editorial that says the Iraq war was a good idea either. I've never written an editorial that says that, you know, nation building makes any sense. The United States has attempted to like, essentially build nations from scratch 14 times around the world in the last hundred years. And the only times it worked were in Germany, essentially a rich country after World War II, Japan, essentially a rich company after World War II, and oddly enough, in, uh, in Grenada and Panama. But those countries had homogenous uh, nations, homogenous populations, which are much easier to unify. Afghanistan has 14 different tribes that have hated each other for hundreds of years. And so there's just no chance to, to unify. The peculiar thing about this is that the British Empire was the most powerful superpower in the 19th century, and it tried twice to conquer Afghanistan and lost. The Soviet Union in the 1970s was the second most powerful nation in the world. In 1979, it invaded, and it pulled out eight years later, having lost. And now we're the third power, superpower, uh, to be defeated by this little nation because of its quirks. So it's an amazing history for us to repeat. I mean, I know it's definitively to be seen, but what do you think will happen uh, once we do pull out troops there? I think there's a fair chance that a civil war will resume, but it's not as clear if it will be as severe as what it was in, uh, 20 years ago when the, the, essentially the Taliban took control over most of the country, because Kabul, the capital, really has been changed by all this U.S. investment. And it may also have been changed by the fact that people got used to living with more freedom for 20 years. And so the Taliban... Uh, may uh, may have more of a, a trouble uh, taking over the capital than they did. But there's, as you said, there's so many open questions about this because there was also plenty of evidence in, the, in, the, in 20 years ago that the Taliban had wealthy people backing them up. And it wasn't just their sales of opium, which can be turned into dangerous drugs. So do they still have proxy supporters now? Not clear. The editorial coming out Sunday says, you know, we do have obligations going forward to the people of Afghanistan and also our soldiers returning from war. Uh, what are those? 
Well, we try. We we really don't want Afghanistan to go back to the situation where women are are treated so terribly and are sub so routinely subjugated. And so we really need to use our military, if not our troops on the ground, to try to keep uh, that from happening. But as for the obligations to the Americans uh, who are here, it's they're not just the ones who've been physically wounded, or you know, it's not just the ones who you know got tinnitus in their ears or stuff like that. There's a generation of American soldiers who suffer terrible emotional problems, PTSD, that impact their whole lives because of what they witnessed. And the fact is, is that when the United States was simultaneously fighting two wars, people had to go back and fight over and over and over again. They suspended the normal rules on, on you know, you get to have some time at home with your family and friends. So there's a generation of soldiers that we have to be worried about. And yet we have a VA system that sometimes is really good and sometimes really isn't good. And so, uh, you know, it's it's a complicated mess. But America absolutely has an obligation to these people for, for what they suffered and to try to help them to adjust. Do you think there's a plan in place or are they working on one uh, to take care of these soldiers? The funding for the VA has been ramped up dramatically in recent years. And the scandals that led to uh, them claiming to treat more people than they did got a lot of people fired. And so there have not been VA scandals of note for several years now. So in theory, at least, they're getting better about it. But the veterans community is very much mixed on this. Some praise VA and like their situations. Some still feel like they haven't got the full amount of care they need. But it's a super important issue. And finally, I mean, being in this long war, uh, we think we shouldn't have been in. What is the takeaway? I think the takeaway is basically the lessons of Vietnam. We have to have clear objectives. We have to have uh, a ways to get there to realize our objective. And we have to have an exit strategy that allows us to leave. And so it's just kind of incredible that we had this searing experience in Vietnam from essentially 1963 to 1974. And these lessons were pounded into the military to the point that, uh, you know, we would have these brief little wars in Grenada and Panama. And then the first Iraq war only lasted 42 days. We just wanted to get in, meet our objectives and move on. But incredibly, Bush 43 uh, just didn't grasp these messages. And Colin Powell tried to rein him in, his secretary of state, but was outmaneuvered by uh, Rumsfeld and, and Dick Cheney and other hawks in the administration who believe essentially that the U.S. could just show up anywhere, take over and be accepted as opposed to being resented, which is exactly what happened. You can find these stories online at SanDiegoUnionTribune.com. I'm Christy Totten. Thanks for listening.